You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. All right, everyone, Chris Lopez here, and welcome back to another episode. This interview is another interview with a book contributor, or I should say a contributor to the 2020 Guide to Denver Real Estate Investing Strategies book. So my co-host today is Joe Massey. Joe, how's it going? Fantastic. Great to see you today. I'm really excited with our uh, guest today. Um, he is one of our esteemed colleagues, just a, a terrific guy. Always fun to chat with him. He has terrific stories, terrific information. Um, just really enjoy working with him. He's he's a, a pleasure to work with as a client, but probably even more fun just to work with as a collaborator on house hacking, on the upcoming house hacking book, on the book here, uh, the 2020 Guide to Denver Real Estate Investing Strategies. Just cannot say enough positive about our good friend, Mr. Jeff White. Jeff, how's it going today, man? How are you? I'm doing well. Just enjoying this uh, last moments in my room here uh, before I'm fully moved out. Uh, solely empty. It's kind of weird. Yeah. It's my little office. Well, your only office over here. I mean, let's just, you you kind of put the cart before the horse on here. Let's talk about this because, you know, normally what we do with these interviews is we talk about kind of like a recap of what your, you know, what your goals are. And then also how things have changed, you know, post-COVID or, you know, during the current COVID pandemic. But um, you already kind of mentioned one of your goals for 2020 was to purchase your fourth house hack. And usually the fact that, I mean, you said like you're literally like this is your last day and you're in house hack number three, right? Yeah, literally yeah. moving out the rest of my office equipment and this little foam roller over here. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll be all set and ready, uh, fully moved in, technically moved into the other place. Um, but this, this last little bit, um, but yeah, that was one of my big goals for 2020. And, and, uh, you know, with everything that's happened that, you know, nothing changed that goal. Cause I think real estate is such a terrific investment, uh, long, long-term and also short-term, but more so long-term. And that I'm so happy to have the opportunity to purchase a fourth one. So thank you, Joe. Hey, you know what, man? You're doing it all, all the right <laughs> things. You, you buy a property, you move into it, you house hack it, you save up your money, you live there for that 12 months or a little bit longer, and then you go out and you get on the market or get on the MLS and find the next deal that's on the market. And uh, you just do it over and over again, man. I think you're, you're a true testament to success and testament to, to setting goals and, and achieving them. So let's talk a little bit about that. Your real estate strategy, your goals, give us kind of the high level. What What's your goals for how many properties do you want to own? Where do you want to go uh, as far as do you want to own one property, a thousand properties, 10 properties? Give us a little bit of high level detail there. Yeah, I guess I look at it more split between house hacks and investment properties. Mm -hmm. So house hacks, I think we talked about this before I want to hit eight just to be one more than that, the person that you said was the highest. <laughs> nice. <Yep. laughs> and for you. <laughs> and so, then for so investment properties. I got to interrupt you. Let's give everyone context here because during, uh, in, in April and May, the three of us recorded like 15 podcasts for just the ultimate house hacking guide in Denver. Yep. And one of the things Joe mentioned was that, you know, we mentioned, hey, people get house hack fatigue. Yep. I think you said your client, your, your client with the best record was up to seven house hacks. Yep. So Jeff has to outdo him or her by one. That's why Jeff is going for eight. So 
That. <laughs> hey, you know what? I love it. We're gonna we're yeah. gonna get eight new properties. I think that's a terrific goal. Whatever yeah. whatever it takes. So well, let's not worry about income goals. Just gotta beat the other person, right? Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, just for fun. It's just fun. Yeah, I, I look at it. Well, I actually, I think that's a big part of it too. Is yeah, I have my goals for number of properties. It's more. I don't really look at it less number per se and more net cash flow with a property manager. Okay. So I look at it like that. So basically, if you look at it that way, my net cash flow goal with the property manager would be approximately $8,000 a month. Okay. And which equates yeah. to roughly eight properties generating yeah. $1,000 a month each. And this is prior to them being paid off. This is still, they would still have mortgages. Correct. Okay. Yeah. They all still have, uh, yeah, I did, still have mortgages, still set aside for reserves and maintenance and vacancies and uh, all that um, as well. So that's the you know, the net cash flow number. That's why I look at Yeah. Because if you put a, because sometimes if I just said, oh, I want 10 properties, that's kind of like, well, is it 10 investment properties, 10 house hacks? Yep. Is it, it's only investment properties, then that'd be what, you know, best case scenario. If I bought only condos, maximum $500 a month cash flow for each one, right? then that's $5,000 right there. But if I said house accents, it's a completely different number. And then yeah. combining the two, even better. Yeah. I think that's such a terrific point for our listeners out there. And I have a lot of people that come to me and they say, oh, I want to own 10 properties. Okay, great. Well, Jeff takes it a step further. He wants to own 10 properties that generate an average of a thousand, or pardon me, eight properties that generate a thousand dollars, an average of a thousand dollars per property. And he's not trying to do that by August, right? He's got a long-term plan. We're going to do this over a period of eight, six, 10, 12, four years, whatever the number is. It's not something he's trying to accomplish tomorrow. And talking about that cash flow is so important. I kind of pick on on people every now and then like, well, I want to own 10 properties. I'm like, cool. Are you good if they all lose money? Well, no, I, all, I want all of them to make money. I want cash flow. Okay, great. So let's take this evolution a step farther. How much money do you want to make per property? Uh, and Jeff, you've thought through it. And I think that $1,000 per month per property is a great goal and really helps keep you focused that it's not just, I want to have eight properties. I want to have eight properties that are making money and I want them to be making an average of this much money. I think that's really smart. Chris, what do you think? No, I, I, I like it. And one, something we don't talk about a whole lot, because we always talk about, um, you know, getting those properties and paid off. But what, you know, what you're setting yourself up for, Jeff, is you get those eight properties ending $1,000 cash flow, you know, uh, while you still have a mortgage debt. You know, the great thing is you are still getting that cash flow now, which what I know about you, that should be enough for you to be able to, you know, quit your job off if you got that cash flow. But then you're still giving yourself a lot of runway for delayed gratification because as those properties pay off, whether it's just the natural payment through the 30-year loans or you do some prepayments or you sell a few in 1031 and trade up, like you'll be making $8,000 here in the near future. But when those are paid off or you trade up, that'll probably be like $20,000 a month because you're really like delaying your gratification on there as well. Yeah, that's going to be a great retirement plan. In addition to one of the things I love about your strategy, you do other things, right? You've got stocks, bonds, your 401k, all these other miscellaneous things that are going on. Um, this is just one piece of the investment puzzle. I really like that. So uh, let's talk about your fourth house hack because this, uh, I mean, you got another home run here. So I'm just going to read from uh, your chapter here in the book uh, for under goals for 2020. 
I will purchase my fourth house sack with conventional financing with a 5% down payment with the goal of $700 to $1,000 a month in net cash flow after maintenance, vacancy, and reserves. House sack criteria, single family house, six to seven bedrooms, three to four baths, 2,800 square feet, near retail, restaurants, schools, park, parkways, public transit, and uh, seeking a greater than 20% cash on cash return. So number one, Joe and I talk about this all the time. You have very, very defined criteria. Love it. So every investor out there, take notes because for those two sentences and five bullet points, that allows us to go out there, help you find the property, know exactly what you want, and you acted fast on this property, Jeff. But tell us, um, how'd that play out for you? You wrote this goal. What'd you end up with? I actually ended up with a 10-bedroom, four-bath place that's 3,300 <laughs> square feet. <laughs> so it worked out even better yeah. than I could even imagine because uh, that's, you know, I, I put those parameters to really define it so I know I don't waste time like at the four-bedroom, two-bath houses or, you know, like something like that's just a waste of time. So I just, you know, aim high and then sometimes you hit that uh, home run or the triple and then you're like, sweet, even better. Mm-hmm. I love it. So I love the fact that that you have that defined criteria. And I think as of today, we can say this goal has been accomplished. You can check it off your list, right? Because your property meets yep. all these criteria. You're done. You said today's the last day in the old house. You're moving into the new house uh, this afternoon, right? Yeah. Yeah, literally. That's <laughs> so, great. Man. Grabbing up the rest of stuff. And uh, um, yeah, so happy to accomplish it because I know there's a lot of people out there that, you know, don't I know some investors get a little more creative and Joe could probably speak on this where they don't record, don't capture it in their tax returns, mm-hmm. collect cash, um, or write off too many things, and then they can't qualify for the next one because their debt to income's all that's right messed up. And then uh, that's where I try to do everything very straight. Everything's recorded, um, verifiable. Um, and keep track of every, especially with all these tenants. You really got to be organized because. If I wasn't, then it'd be a nightmare trying to follow up with people and saying, oh, did you pay half the rent or what did you do? So, You know, that's a good question. So you have four house hacks now. How many individual tenants, individual people that have signed leases with you? So at the moment, it is 13. 13. All right. So you're like running your own little property management business too. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Then after this one gets all stabilized, it'll be another five. So 15 or sorry, 18, 18. So I want everybody to think about that for a second. I really love what Jeff said. He takes the information. It's verifiable. He saves the receipts, saves the leases, saves the, the, you know, the deposits that come in through Venmo or PayPal or, or whatever, you know, particular service you use or via check or cash or whatever records that. I'm sure you have a spreadsheet somewhere, and it's probably extensive at this point on each property, each room, who's the tenant, when is their lease up, et cetera. So it's important to stay organized with that stuff for two reasons. Number one, when it comes time to get the new loan from me, Jeff is great. He forwards over his email. I go through it. Yeah, this is terrific. I have like one question. But more important than dealing with me, the lender, he's got to deal with all these tenants every single day. And so this is a great thing that I would have never thought of. He's managing 13 to 18 tenants at any given time. 
He's got to have a system to manage them or else ultimately he's going to miss rents. He's going to miss out on something. He's not going to keep the property updated because somebody said, hey, I broke X, Y, Z, and he's going to forget to go out there and maintain it. So I think this is a very eye-opening for me, Jeff, and I love it that you've got this many tenants and I'm sure you've got a great system to organize that. Tell us just a little bit about that. How does that work? Yeah, I mean, basically, it's a, you know, my background's finance, accounting. So I love spreadsheets, just like Joe does. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I just have a separate spreadsheet um, for each property that details every single room that's. Uh, so basically, like it all roll, it, it, it's like the detail section and the summary section. So it breaks down every single tenant or roommate or individual space that's rented out. And then, all the expenses every month, um, all the mate, like anything I fix up. So I have everything ready to go for, for Joe or for my, my tax um, accountant as well. Genius. Really smart. It would have, again, until you mentioned it, I would have never connected. Um, but again, that's one of the reasons that you're one of the most successful house hackers in Denver. While you're a very successful property investor, you're keeping organized. You're, you're running this like a business. Um, because yes. this is a business, right? This is yeah. Jeff White, you know, realestateinvesting.com or whatever you want to call it, LLC or incorporated. This is the Jeff White business um, to make money and eventually retire. I, I love it, man. You're, you're taking it serious. And, and I think this is a great testament to what you're up to. And something I just want to mention, because it's something that three of us have been working on now here for a few months is that, you know, Jeff, just because you've done such a great job of like, you know, stabilizing your house acts, running things room by room. Um, you know, we got plans on uh, getting your help on helping to coach some other house hacking clients to do what you want to do and kind of, hey, here's the model. Here's the spreadsheets. Here's the systems. Here's a checklist I use. Yeah. So if listeners out there, definitely reach out to Jeff or another, you know, month or two. We'll have a much, much more organized uh, information out there as well. That's what I'm excited to kind of work with you on to help other house hackers out there because you have got just a dialed-in system for that. Yeah, tell us just a little bit about that, Jeff. Chris Chris yeah. hit a lot of the points, but I want to hear from Jeff. Give us a, a quick 30-second, one minute. What are you going to be doing with your house hacking coaching program? Yeah, basically, it's just to help uh, newbie house hackers on the first one, third one, second one, doesn't really matter. But basically, they just want help and assisting to maximize, not only maximize rents, but just make it a, long-term successful investment vehicle for them to build wealth long-term. Love it. Love it. And that's <laughs> personal. You're going to provide workbooks and spreadsheets and stuff, but they can, they can work oh, yeah. personally with you as well, right? Yeah. It'd be a combination of, you know, access to all the spreadsheets and information and guides and checklists, and then also personalized coaching or any like, um, certain packages will give you like six months. Um, you could email questions or get one-on-one phone calls and assistance and just adding as much value as possible to where the person um, is set up for the long term. Love it. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Okay. I was going to say, because one of your um, other goals in here was talking about just purchase your first investment property. So a non-house, like, you know, 20, 25% down landlord property. Uh, has COVID changed any of those plans on buying another property this year for you? No, actually, if anything, it uh, motivates me to get another property because I can anticipate um, with all the high unemployment and, you know, if this drags out more months, then we'll have more swings in the economy and possibly even 
more unemployment again, um, there'll be way more renters. So if anything, real estate, I think is, especially in Denver, uh, just a terrific value play um, because their rentals, renters will be there. The numbers still work, especially when we're talking about more of the, your favorite type of uh, investment properties, which are those, what, three, two condos in Aurora? That yep. you guys like? Yeah, they just, <laughs> they cash flow well. Tough to go wrong yeah. with those. Yeah. So what, um, speaking of COVID and stuff, how, because I know we caught up right as COVID hit, but now we're on a three or four months into it. I've actually talked to you in a couple months about this, but how are your current renters and properties performing? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, so I'll just give you some numbers as an offhand. So I only have, I had two tenants that were, or four tenants that lost their jobs. And two of them are in payment plans. And I've collected about 95 or, 90% of all my rents. Um, and then the two that are on payment plans will eventually get caught up. Um, but yeah, it hasn't, I thought it'd have more of an impact, but luckily my tenant base is pretty spread out. Um, in the sense they're not all one industry or, um, and on top of that, not only is my tenant base, not in one industry, but I also do rent by rooms and renting by rooms. It's a lot more affordable than if I, you know, had a house in the Highlands renting for four grand a month or something like if that right. tenant lost their job, that'd be hard to afford that rent. Um, but paying, you know, 700 bucks, 600 bucks a month for a room that's people could swing that, especially with unemployment in Colorado is really good. And then that federal $600 a week as well. I know that helped a lot of people, um, as well. So actually, yeah, so it's a surprisingly hasn't impacted, my real estate business as much as I initially thought it would back in March. So overall so you're at, good. you said 90% plus on yeah. all your rents collected. Yeah, correct. Yep. That's great. You know, yeah. I think that's again, something that I would have never thought about. So you mentioned it. What a great point about house hacking, right? If I'm renting a, a house in the Highlands for $4,000 a month, that person loses their job instantly. That $4,000 a month goes away, but you're renting four bedrooms in a house, 700 bucks per bedroom hey, one person loses their job and they say, hey, you know what, Jeff, I can't pay. All right, you're still getting income on the other three bedrooms. Or maybe that person says, you know what, Jeff, um, I can pay, but I can only pay half. Or, hey, I want to go on a payment plan. Um, or, hey, I'm getting unemployment and I'm going to be able to actually keep up with my payments because it's only $700 a month. It's not $4,000 a month. Um, what a great way to spread your risk out. I never would have thought about that. But you're basically, the the rental income coming in for property A is not dependent on one single wage earner or breadwinner. It's spread out. That risk is spread out, which is going to levelize some of the volatility. I, I think, uh, what a great, great thought there. I appreciate that information. Yeah, so, it's just something to think about. because, I, And I, that's a, when I uh, was talking to a friend, I was like, oh, yeah, actually, it does spread the risk because like I could have every single person lose their job or make half the payments. Um, and then, you know, that hurts, but it won't kill me as much if, you know, if I had one tenant and that one tenant lost their job and couldn't make anything, I got zero or, or like 25% of it. So right. that's where the reality is, you know, people lose like, especially a couple of my tenants work in the restaurant industry, you know, that hurt them a lot. Those few months there are still hurting them now. 
Um, but they, you know, to swing 700 bucks is a lot easier than if that, that rent was $1,500. Yeah. Cool. Really neat. Yeah. So this is kind of, I'm, I'm going to read something else from your chapter that I want to kind of have a debate with you guys on here. So this is, um, you know, under savings, spending, and reserves. You say, currently I'm saving close to 60% on my monthly W-2. I have no consumer debt, no car loans, no student loans, just mortgage debt. But I'll do better this year by eating out less to achieve a 65% savings rate. Yeah. Um, and so kind of what I'm, I've, what I've noticed about myself is that, you know, hey, the, you know, going from a 60 to 65% savings rate, I don't think is going to make or break you based on what I know about you. Hey, the, you know, the extra money on there. Hey, well, it's great. I don't think it's gonna be like a difference maker. And I take the attitude like, hey, that's such a small amount. I'd rather put my focus on not saving that towards versus like buying another asset. Like, hey, another, like your, your new house hack, you know, house hack number four is going to give a lot more wealth building aspect than like eating out less in my mind. Um, right. So how do you debate, you know, how, how do you in your mind like focus on like, hey, the, the, the you know, the, the smaller stuff? Versus, hey, the big stuff, which is, hey, if I buy one or two more properties this year, this has a 10x impact on my retirement down the road versus eating out uh, five times less a month. Like, yeah, do you, so do you track that, that or how do you I'm, – I'm curious from your financial mind how you uh, analyze that. Yeah, I look at it, you know, especially I'm getting the great benefit of living for, for – actually making money while living out of place. I mean, how sweet is that? That's literally getting paid to live in a – place versus paying rent or a mortgage by That's myself. pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, so because of that, that really, um, you know, like is helps build, uh, helps my savings rate a lot. And then on top of that, you know, I still, I'm not, I'm not one to sacrifice. I'm not one to eat like total, like, yeah, I'm living with roommates and all that. I can make certain sacrifices, but I still like to go out to eat. I still like beer. <laughs> I still like, you know, having fun. So I don't want to turn into like a prude and just, you know, give up everything just to yeah. sacrifice. So um, I like to combine so because I get the benefit of house hacking and all the great savings right there. Um, I don't, I do try to focus on my W2 job and also saving, but I know, and when I combine the two, I know, okay, I want to, if I could increase just a little bit more on my W2, maybe I could buy that uh, investment property, my other goal a little bit sooner. Then, um, you know, especially in the, with 20, 25% down, that's a big chunk of change there um, yeah. in the Denver market. So any, any little bit can help versus, uh, you know, eventually, you know, you, you could only, I'm not going to cut off everything and just make food at home every single day and, you know, sell my, sell the car and yeah. give up everything just to be that what a 95 you know some people save 80 90 that's a little too extreme so um combine the two to and maybe increase you know certain levers and maybe say okay maybe eat out a little bit less got a little expensive this month so i track it i do have my tracking on mint.com uh, that app um which is very useful because you kind of see like oh i spent you know two hundred dollars at chipotle last month or how many times did I eat there? <laughs> just a couple burritos. <laughs> so just seeing that or like, oh, I just went out for sushi and that was, you know, $190. Like, okay, maybe limit the sushi to every other month or something yeah. like that. Just to, right. yeah, I think I, I look at it more like that, the bigger ticket items and seeing like, oh, could maybe we go out every other 
week or so, like for bigger like restaurants or bars and stuff like that. So I think the bigger issue with Chris's question is Chris is upset that Jeff looks like he's a 24-year-old strapping young man with a six-pack, and Chris looks like he's 86. So we really, Jeff, need you to start eating out more often so that yeah. you don't make Chris and I look so bad. Jeez, how do you really feel, Joe? <laughs> Hopefully everybody's watching the video and the podcast to get to see Chris's face. Uh, I'm trying to think of like polite things I can retort back to you on here. Um, Don't be in the outtakes, yeah. the, uh, the responses that I get back. Um, well, but how do you take on this, Joe? Like what's, because I've noticed, this is something I noticed about myself the last couple years is just when I like try to really tighten up, hey, I'm going to eat out less here for, hey, save 50 bucks here a week mm -hmm. eating out or something here. Like I go through a mental shift of where like it seems to like impact me on the other side. Hey, I can go out there and, and you know, use my time and make more money, buy better properties, do like that. And like, hey, the couple dollars saving here, you know, hey, cool. I'm not going to go buy a brand new Tesla. I'm not going to go buy these big things, but hey, 50 bucks here. I just, I learned it like kind of mentally shifts for me. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed like it, it, it impacts me on doing bigger things. Yeah. How, how do you balance the like, hey, saving a few dollars versus, hey, this is not going to honestly move the needle in the grand scheme of things? Yeah. So I love what Jeff said that he's not totally becoming like, a, a, what is it, a monk, right? He's not totally yeah, just yeah. hibernating in his house, not eating out, not speaking, right? But he's doing the things that he wants to do, but he has looked at, hey, you know what? The app sort of holds me accountable. And a lot of people ask me for savings advice. Hey, should I cut this out? Should I cut that out? And I say, hey, you need to look at whatever the savings is that you have. And based on that savings, how long is it going to take you to achieve your goal, right? And if that goal is three years away and you really want to achieve that goal in two years, okay, great. What are some things that you can cut out that are going to speed up your time to achieve that goal? And then balance that with, you know what? I need some things for my mental health and my mental well-being. Right. So Jeff mentioned, hey, I'm gonna go out to sushi and I might spend 150 bucks. All right. If we talk to one of the the Susie Orman financial gurus on CNBC, she's gonna tell you, no, you can't do that. You know what? That's gonna keep me from living a miserable life. Sometimes I wanna go to sushi. Sometimes I wanna spend too much money on sake. Sometimes I just need a break, right? That's okay. And so I think you just need to balance it with an adult perspective of where are my goals, how quickly am I gonna get there? And you know what? We all do really tough jobs. Jeff has a hard job. Chris, you have a hard job. I have a hard job. And sometimes, you know what? I want to spend too much money on sushi because it's going to make me feel better about myself. Um, so I, I think both of you guys are spot on. Yeah, maybe there's a few things that you can cut out, but don't cut it out for the sake or at the expense of your mental well-being. So I love what Jeff said. He, you know, small, easy, incremental changes. It's going to help him hit his goals sooner, but not make hopefully too much of an emotional impact. No, that's actually, I think the emotional health is something that's not talked about a lot uh, when you're house hacking because, you know, you're sharing space, you're living, you know, not everyone is comfortable just because you did it in college where you had roommates or live next to people like, right, like, or even after college in apartments doesn't mean you're like, like it, especially as people of couples and families. And if you have kids, it's like, it gets a little bit harder, more challenging. and you know, I think emotional well-being is very important. And, you know, if you want to go, you want to have that nice car, like, and, but you have, and your house hacking, then I think you have one to balance out another. Um, I point. think certain luxuries yeah. are totally okay. As long as you have some asset producing you some income to balance it out and not just a bunch of liabilities.
I think that's such a great point. I see people all the time that have seven, eight, nine hundred dollar payments on their BMW and less than five thousand dollars in the bank, right? I think that's probably a poor financial choice. And yeah, you want that car for your mental health, but at that point, I think that's a, an overstretch, right? Yep. You've got fifty, eighty, hundred thousand dollars saved up. You're house hacking, and you're you're making money on your assets. And then you want to buy a nice BMW. That seems very reasonable. So I think you're exactly right, Jeff. So uh, last thing I want to talk about your chapter here, Jeff, is you talked about uh, refinancing your first house hack, which is a fourplex that you bought with an FHA loan, into a conventional investment loan, and possibly getting a HELOC if there's enough uh, equity after the refinance. How did that play out? Didn't get the HELOC, but I did get out of my FHA uh, into a conventional um, loan for that property. So I'm really happy. Thanks again, Joe. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, and also lowering the payment. I think my, another, I guess I had to put that part in there too, lowering because FHA, um, the big thing that's helpful is it's a great first time home buyers type lending program, but the mortgage insurance never goes away unless you refinance out of that loan. Yep. Um, and I, that was my goal. And I thought, oh, what a perfect time. You know, let's just see what ha- worst case scenario, um, just the cost of the appraisal. And f- fortunately, it came in pretty close to what I told Joe and uh, was able to get out into new loan and save about 500 bucks a month right there. Yeah. Yep. That that adds up, right? That yeah. that helps, increases that cash flow, helps you again have that average of these various properties making $1,000 per month or more. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about real estate is like, you know, you can't like I invest in the stock market and I love it, but you can't you can't do things like that in the stock market where it's hey, just pay attention, let the equity build, give it four years, hey, interest rates drop, hey, do some paperwork, spend seven hundred dollars on the appraisal, and now you're making an extra five hundred dollars a month. Yeah. Like it's very hard to do it elsewhere. I want to add one more comment that this this will be my last comment, but I think it was really smart. I think my favorite um, sentence in your chapter, Jeff, towards the end, you said, to help provide a more diverse investment portfolio along with my real estate investments, I want to embrace my retirement accounts this year. And you talked about putting money in your 401k, putting away you know, your, your employer match from your 401k. Do you think that's important for all investors? Should they be diversified or should we be focusing only on real estate? Yeah, no, apps, uh, I definitely believe in diversification and you know, you still focus in on your strong suit too. Some people are really good at stocks and, you know, that's what maybe they should put the majority of their investments in there and then 20% real estate. But uh, I love real estate and I know you guys do too. And I think if, you, if you're if you passionate about it, you're in the market, you really, then the risk isn't the same as someone that is just some investor that has a ton of money and just says, okay, I'm just going to put $2 million and buy a bunch of properties. And like, that's risky. If they, yep. you know, just trusting some property manager take care of it and they never go see it, like that's to me, that's risky. But if you're in the market, you do your due diligence, you do your research, then real estate along with, and then not putting all your money in there just because it's good to have multiple investments, multiple different rates of return. So long term, you're, um, you're better off. You have a nice solid return and, and the benefits of all types of different types of investments. Yeah. Yep. I thought that was a great point is, 
hey, you know what? And I don't think this is true in, in anybody's chapter. I don't think anybody says you should put all of your money into one specific vehicle. I think everybody talks about various places that they're investing money. Uh, but I thought that was a great comment. Um, you know, you want to have money in various different buckets, right? Because if one bucket's doing poorly, hopefully another bucket is doing well, um, or hopefully all of your buckets are doing well at the same time. So I thought that was really smart. Um, again, just a great, uh, uh, speaks to uh, what a great investor you are and, and how you're doing things the right way and it's paying off for you. So, so love seeing your success. Again, I got another question that's popped in mind as I was reading that paragraph you highlighted, Joe. Um, you said you invest in S&P index funds. I'm curious, what's your... Uh, are you 100% in S&P index funds or are you doing like 90-10 with bonds? Like what's your ratio? Yeah, I'm like 90-10 with okay. bonds. Just, I, I like that, the, that index fund just because it's, I know the, you know, the long-term return I'll get. Um, I'm not trying to beat the market and say, okay, I'm like, I'm going to find the next Apple or Chipotle type stock. I know that's not realistic. Even if I, even if I believed I could, there's someone like I'm not gonna be able to compete with Wall Street anyways. Like those people spend 24/7. They have teams. Oh, yeah. and even if I ever, even if I found that stock, it, by the time I found it, it would already be too late. And people can always say, "Oh yeah, if I, you know, if you bought Apple 10 years ago," but you can say that about every single stock like that. Like anyone, right. it's easy to say that right now, but you can't say that. Like if you knew that, everyone would be a millionaire right now. So. Yep. Oh, you know, I had one other question that I forgot. Yeah. This property, your fourth house hack that you closed on, I mean, the numbers are great. You're getting a cash on cash return greater than 20%. Uh, where'd you guys find that property? MLS. Thank course. you very much. It was on the MLS, 20% <laughs> cash on cash return. Uh, so that's just a reminder for everybody out there. There are still great deals on the MLS. And it's a sweet property. We're going to go into it. We'll do, we'll do a podcast in the future, but great numbers, great location. 80 on the property, 80 is about the same size as the main house. Like, it's an awesome property. Yeah. Cool. Well, Jeff, thank you, man. I appreciate thank it. You, you got any, like, uh, final thoughts or updates you want to share before we hit stop? Oh, uh, yeah. Another benefit or another thing I slightly changed my strategy is use, utilizing Section 8 a little bit more, ah. um, especially after this. So on my current fourth house hack, I was like, well – you know, I could rent it to normal tenants and I offer it out to everybody, um, but it's totally open to Section 8. And the benefit of Section 8, um, if people listening don't know, is it's guaranteed income from the federal government or the housing authority locally. Um, the tenants usually pay between 5 to 20% of the gross amount and then the housing authority covers the rest. So especially right now, people losing their jobs, it's nice to know, well, I'll still get 90% of the rental income if things go sideways. So another way to minimize your risk um, as well, just uh, something that I slightly just thought about more. I was like, yeah, I'll definitely look more into Section 8. And I think it offers a valuable uh, benefit too, because there's so much demand and a lot of owners, unfortunately, don't like Section 8 or don't want it, um, but there's so much people that are on the program that are looking right now. Yeah, that's right. Great, Great point. Yeah. Great final thought. Well, Joe, thank you. Jeff, thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, Jeff, always great to see yeah. you, man. Look forward to when we can catch up in a non-socially distant manner, but thanks so much <laughs> for joining us on the call, brother. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys.